Good morning, church. Good morning, church. It's good to see everyone here, and it is very, very good. Did everyone have a good Mother's Day? All right. right. Yes. All right, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Galatians. Uh, We're in a series called Grown Good, and what we've been doing in the past, uh, before uh, Mother's Day, has been leading up uh, to the where we're at today, we, we talked about the good law, the fact that God um, established in the Old Testament the Mosaic law. Moses brings this good new reality, but it's, it's an expectation of God and a holiness of God that man can't live up to. We fail it. And, and, and so it's basically an awesome example and reminder to us, yeah, we can't do this. We, we can't fulfill this. We can't flesh this out. And so it presents the need for a savior, which the Old Testament also says will come. That Savior did come. It was Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the Mosaic law and he gives us a new law. And the new law is because all of this is fulfilled for you, you are now liberated and enabled to live out the law of love. And that's something that God was intending to do with the Mosaic law, but we just couldn't pull it off. So the new law of love is something that we can now step into. Now what Galatians does, the book of Galatians does after that is talk about this new life built around this new law of love does something. It says there's certain things that don't add to that love. They don't add to human flourishing. They take us away from God and his dream for us. And so those are things that we purge. We, we kick those to the curb. We get them out. Um, but there's also things that we start to do that we're pr- profoundly and supernaturally enabled to do we couldn't do otherwise, and that's called the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we talked about when we were talking about the good life. This week, we're stepping into um, kind of a way that Paul is wrapping up Galatians chapter 5, and he's wrapping it up kind of saying, oh yeah, and one more thing. Okay, the, the Bible is inspired by God, right? God, God inspired this, but he uses human beings. And because he uses human beings, um, he uses their personality. And so Paul doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to say in two sentences everything you need to know. He says stuff like this, this, and this. Oh yeah, and this too. And then he used to talk about some, oh, but, but this too, don't forget about this. And it's something that God uses the personality and the writing style of Paul to convey his message. And so in the last couple verses of chapter 5, he gives like one more, oh yeah, remember this as well. So go ahead and take a look at chapter 5 and verses 25 through 26. But actually, while you're turning there, we'll, we'll read that in just a moment. While you're turning there, last week was Mother's Day. This week we're talking about the good posture is poise over provocation. Um, and we talked about the amazing divine reality of, of, of motherhood. Every one of us has a mom. Every one of us knows that motherhood is incredibly difficult, but that we should honor our moms. Um, and we should honor them because the, a lot of times they're trying to exhibit poise over provocation. I mean, that, the very thing we're talking about this week, they're trying to exhibit. Um, last week we showed um, a really great uh, video as a bumper video before the message. Um, we chose, I told you last week that we chose not to show a, a certain video that, that um, was another alternate Mother's Day video because it just seemed like it was written for a man. It looked like, it just felt like it was Michael Bay, director of Transformer explosive action Mother's Day thing. It just didn't feel like it had the same oomph for a Mother's Day video as, as what we showed you last week, but a lot of people wanted to see it. And um, because of the fact that, that it actually kind of does dovetail with what we're talking about today, I'm going to show you the video we chose not to show you last week. Here we go. This spring. Only one hero. Can save her 
family. And prevent disaster. Mom, we're gonna be late for school! I don't think so. Whoa. Experience the phenomenon that critics are calling inspiring. Mom, I can't find number 17! Come on, Billy! Dig deep! A lot of fun. And pure genius. Mom, where's my phone? Table. Keys. Mudroom. Jake and Dan. Under the couch between the monkey and the flip-flop. How does she do that? Created by God to demonstrate his love with grace, elegance, and poise. Torch. All right, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, and again, this is following the life built up of the Spirit, the things that we don't do, the things that we do, in fact, do. And, uh, and when he gets to verses uh, 25 and following, um, he kind of closes it up before closing the letter in chapter 6. He says this, Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's really small. That's the whole of our passage today. But, but what he's, let's just reread that. Since we live by the Spirit. So since God has gifted us, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been redeemed by what he did on the cross, you've been given the Holy Spirit. And he says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And the, the sentence structure there in Greek is, is this idea of like following the leader. Like we're, like everywhere he goes, we're going, we're going in step. We don't, we don't want to be out of step going off on our own tangent. We want to be walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, let us not become three things, conceited, provoking, and envying one another. And those three verbs are verbs that are only used here they're not used anywhere else in the Bible. They're not used anywhere else in Greek in the New Testament. You're going to have other words translated um, as envying or provoking or, or conceited. But these particular words, Paul specializes for this passage. And so we're going to first just unpack what each one of those really means. And, and, and really, I think what's fascinating about what he's doing in this passage. Conceited, it's, it's the word right here, and it's kenodoskos, which comes from two different words. It's a compound word from kenos, which means empty, and uh, doxa, which is glory. You know, like if you've heard the doxology, that's glory. Kenodoskos is empty glory. It's like this, uh, the doxology is a song of praise to God. Conceit is this empty song of glory of myself. Look how amazing I am, even though I'm not. That's conceit. Conceit is, is this self-absorbed self-centeredness that's focusing on me, and it's a much ado about nothing, because it's all hype, all packaging, but there's nothing of substance to really glorify on that level. That's what that word that Paul is using means. We're going to skip over the provoking word. We're going to go right over to the word envy that he uses. And the word that he uses there means bitterness or sadness because of someone else's success or happiness. Okay, so this is the idea of, um, you know, if you're, if you're on Facebook or, or if, uh, many of you here, it's the thing I love about, about 
some of the things that we see today is that whether it's social networking, it has no demographics. People are in their 90s at our church and they're on Facebook. Um, and people are like 19 and like, no, it's just not for me. I'm just, I'm above that. And so whatever, wherever you're at, the, the truth is, is that this concept of envy is not new to social media, uh, but it, it's really been pronounced by it. Envy has been something that we see taking place all the way back to the garden, all the way back to Cain and Abel. Envy is something is as old as life and people and history. And anytime you look on the historical timeline, you're going to see envy paying, playing a huge role. And th- this is the thing where all of a sudden, you know, you're watching and you're seeing what someone else has. You're like, why is it that they've got that? Seriously, why did they've got what, why did, what, what, what did they do that I didn't do that they earned that? Why is it that he can afford that? I know he can't afford that. How did they buy that? They must be crazy. That's it. You know what? They're just terrible with their money. Not like us. I mean, we're, we're bad with our money, but we're not terrible. You know, we do this, and all of a sudden, like, we do it relationally. We do it with material goods. We do it whenever, you know, if you're someone, we have some people that are getting married. Whenever you go to someone else's wedding, you're like, oh, why are they so creative? And you don't realize that it's just because of Pinterest that all these ideas were robbed from somebody else. None of, there's no creativity out there, uh, but, but some really great borrowed ideas. And so envy is this bitterness or sadness. I'm seeing somebody else do well, and I'm tired of it. I, whenever I get together with family, and there's this one person, and he seems to be doing, why is he doing well? Like seriously, I know this guy. I know him better than anyone else. Why is he doing well and I'm not? Envy. Bitterness, sadness because of someone else's success or happiness. And again, even though this has been a timeless human reality, social networking has upped the ante of our ability to experience this on a day-to-day basis. Uh, because the fact that as opposed to somebody who may have been in your office who would be you know, obnoxious enough to say, hey, dude, I, I know, I know it's, it's not great weather here, but I'm going to show you the, the pictures from the fact that I just went to Hawaii. And then you're just, all of a sudden, you're, and, I, and there's nothing against going to Hawaii. Somebody, <laughs> there's someone in our small group uh, who just got back from Hawaii. And, I, and I'll be honest, it's kind of like, and seriously, just living in Illinois, it, this, this happens all the time. Because people in Illinois are like, we're getting out of here. We're going to Disney. We're going to Florida. We're going to Cancun, whatever. We're, 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 going, to, we're going to Hawaii. And so people, some people in our small group just got back from Hawaii. And, and it's just like, I'm just like, so how was it in Hawaii for you guys? Because I saw all the pictures and it looked awesome. I saw your legs right there sitting on the beach and your toes. And it looked great. Tell me more about it. You know, that, that type of thing. When we're sitting here flirting with frost in Illinois in May, and so envy happens. Social networking poignant, uh, makes it more poignant. Psychology today, psychology today talked about this. Facebook is changing the way social comparison operates because it tends to bring out the bragger in all of us. Your followers, rather than seeing you as someone they aspire to be like, start to feel that there's something wrong with them. According to Lim and Yang, these are two individuals that did a, uh, a case study in Korea, over 600 uh, participants. Yeah, Lim and Yang said that the emotions that come into play are shame and envy. You'll experience shame when you feel worthless, inadequate, and humiliated. Envy occurs when you want what someone else has in terms of accomplishments or possessions. Why is it that I don't have that kind of relationship? Why is it that I can't be married to someone like that? Why is it that I can't go places like they did? Why is it that I can't own something like that? 
what's wrong with me? Or, you know what? I've never had stuff, but now I got something. So I'm going to let you all know what I have because something about this feels good. Uh, Forbes magazine, the business um, periodical says, a spiral of envy that develops when you see your Facebook friends excelling or enjoying life in ways that you aren't. The good news is that you're not alone in your bitterness. I don't know if that's ever good news. You're bitter and just upset? No problem. Everyone else is too. You're not alone in your bitterness. The bad news is that the solution, aside from shutting down your account, isn't entirely straightforward. We've all felt Facebook-inspired pangs of jealousy when we flip through the pictures of friends lounging on the beach when we've just trudged through the snow to the office. These feelings of jealousy or envy have to do with the comparisons we implicitly make between ourselves and our friends, or in many cases, our distant online acquaintances. Now, here's the thing. At the end of this article from uh, Forbes, it doesn't give any solution. It doesn't give any hope. You're going to have a solution and a hope today. See, because as much as this is not a new reality, this is a human reality. And you don't have to be on a computer to experience this. You experience this when you're driving down the road. You experience this when you're living next door to someone's house, when they pull up with something, or or you see something, or you hear news, good news of someone else. This starts to spike into us. These two concepts of conceit and envy are actually, they sandwich another concept in this passage, and that's provoke. And the word that Paul says, you know, because we're led by the Spirit, because we're in step with the Spirit, don't be conceited, don't provoke others, and don't be envious. Honestly, I don't know if this was his intent or not, but when you look at provocation, the word that he uses, um, let's go back to this, conceit just being my comparative list of wins equals my high value, just as another way to define that. If I'm conceited, I'm saying I'm valuable because I've got, and this is what I have, and I want you all to know how awesome I am because of this list of wins. Envy on the flip side of that is my comparative lack of wins equals my low value. These two concepts actually are the groundwork for provocation. The, we, the reason that we provoke others, I believe that pr- provocation is the side effect. It's the, the residual effect of being conceited and envious, thinking I've got everything or I've got nothing. I've got everything, therefore I'm valuable. I've got nothing, therefore I'm not. That leads to provocation. The word provocation that Paul uses is a word for calling someone out or challenging them. Like, come on. It's, if you wanted to have the literal Greek, it probably would be, come at me, bro. Bring it on. You know what? I'm going, to tell you, I'm going to tell you how awesome I am. I'm going to show you how awesome I am. Because you know what? You've never believed in me. And now I've got this. You know what? I grew up and, and my parents never, they never told me that I, I, they always put me down. Or I always felt like I was a failure compared to the other kids. And so now I've got a little bit of success. I'm going to show them. My dad never thought I was going to make it. But guess what? I did. I did make it. Or I made it like this. And so I'm going to show my dad. I'm going to, or, or, you know what? My parents, they've always been worried about money. But now I made it financially. So I'm going to show them how good I am. That kind of concept starts to put itself out to provoke or call out. Or it's envy. It's on the flip side of that. It's not, I'm going to show you how much I've got. It's like, you've got this? Well, I'm going to verbally or mentally take you down. Because I'm going to start to, uh, there's, there's some reason, there's something, either you're, you're just like totally shallow and that's why you can enjoy all that awesome stuff that you've got, or, or, or worse, you've got it in some unjust way and it's going to come back to bite you and I'm going to be there when it does. And what we do is, is when we see good things happen to others, if we're in this envy land, we provoke them even if it's silent by saying when we see bad things happen to this person, all of a sudden we're like, Justice. 
True? Am I the only one who does this? There's, some, there's a dark, messed up part of my life, my heart, that when I see people that I have been envious of, when I see them fall, whether this is someone I know or it's someone like in, in just in pop culture or political culture, when I see them fall, I'm like, yes, thank you. That's messed up. That's provoking. It's calling out. It's challenging them. Jesus' brother James tells us where this comes from. In James chapter 2, or chapter 4, he says, where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not this, from your passions that battle inside you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. And and James would have known that Jesus said that, James isn't talking to a bunch of ex-cons here. You guys are a bunch of murderers. That's what your problem is. He's talking to people who very much were very much like the people Jesus talked to. When Jesus said, you want to know what murder is? Yeah, it's taking someone's life. But I'm telling you, it's also when you hate somebody, when you hate your brother. That's murder. And so James is like, we hate people all the time because of what they have. Why do we have quarrels? Why do we have all this problem? It's because we're constantly instilling value in what I have or what I don't have. And we... we Absorb that as our personal value. That leads to the quarrels and the fights amongst us. And this is desperate. It's a desperation trap. It's a trap of desperation that you're either going to be on the side of wishing that you had what others had and just demonizing them for having it, or you're going to be on the side of actually finally getting something that you can showcase and thinking that finally you're of worth. Now you've got some type of value. Now you're, you're worthy to be loved. Now you're something. You're special. You're significant. You're pretty enough, you're, you're, you're rich enough, you're loved enough because of what you have. This is a lot of things. But what, but what it's not is life. It, it's a kind of an anti-Christ concept. An anti, certainly an anti-Holy Spirit concept of what the Holy Spirit is trying to usher us into this new perspective. And even though Forbes couldn't come up with a solution to this trap that every human being falls into... We do have something, because if we're able to recognize that the Holy Spirit leads us away from those, we can actually avoid that. And so if, if you've got your notes, um, underneath the part that's talking about the good that God plants in us reverses the pull and power of these toxic traits, we're going to go ahead and identify how to do that. First off with conceit, being conceited. Again, this is my comparative list of wins equals my high value. I've got this. I've, I'm earning this type of paycheck. I've got this type of relationship. I've got these cool toys, therefore I am, I've, I've got value within me. The gospel actually takes that and flips it on its head. The good news that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have, the gospel, the good news, flips it upside down on its head and it, and it retools it. And it says, no, actually the best bad news I can own is that I have nothing. My starting point is much different. My starting point isn't I'm valuable and that's the best news I have is because I've got stuff. The be- I know you came here for bad news and so I've got the best bad news you can have. The best bad news that I can own is that I have nothing. My starting point is not I've got everything. My starting point is not that because of all this I'm worth something. The best bad news a Christian, a human can own is that my starting point is instead nothing. I have nothing because if you think that you're all you need or you're complete in, your, in and of yourself, you become the worst version of yourself. 
You become a person that, that you fail to hear others out. You, di- you can't digest new concepts. You're not open to new thinking. Um, and you start to do this crazy thing where you, where you start to believe an image and a, st- a narrative of yourself that's inaccurate, that you do deserve glory. You do deserve praise. You're putting stuff out there on Facebook to get it. Please, just shower me with, with praise. And you end up in that Top Gun motif where, uh, remember, uh, Maverick's superior talking to him saying, listen, your mouth is, is writing checks your body can't cash. This is that. We start to put out this image that, listen, I am worth the glory and the praise. Please, just aim it my direction. Give me the thanks. Give me the, the props. Give me the kudos. And we do this even when, when, we're, like, when we're desperate in sadness. Like, I, you know what? I, why am I so conceited? You know what? I, 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 I feel the worst of anyone I po- could possibly feel. Feel sorry for me. Feel sorry for me. And we just end up pointing all these directive points towards ourselves. This is misplaced glory. Calling attention to ourselves, bragging. All this is a desperate approach to feel fulfilled. I'm worth something. Only if it's through others' approval. Um... When we're able to say that the best bad news that we own is that we have nothing, we are reflecting the most important reality because above and beyond what we can accomplish, we have the message of the, the most important thing, which is our salvation. And that's, Paul says in Ephesians, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace, it's a free gift. This is not something that you can earn. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves it's the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. You can't tag yourself on this picture. You can't, you can't take credit for this accomplishment. This is something that was done for you. And so your conceit dissolves because the most important thing on the planet was not something that you did. The most important thing in your life is not something that you earned or accomplished or went to school long enough to, to be able to afford, to saved up long enough to experience the best bad news I can own is that I have nothing. Showcasing what you have as accomplishments that you've manifested on your own only serves the idol of self-accomplishment and pride and mutes the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, there's more. There's more than this. As long as we're conceited, we're going to keep on feeding that dragon. We're going to keep on saying, hey, people give me props for the vehicle I drive. People give me props for this thing that I did or the house that I live in or and, and we start to become a real desperate, like, parasite of, I need more of that. Because this was great, but it didn't last long enough, so I need more of that. Now, everyone in this room is good at something. You're good at something. Even if it's just being, sitting there quietly listening to someone, you're really good at it. You're better at things than I am. I'm better at some things than maybe you are. God's gifted us in different ways, and that's awesome. But each one of those things that we do can become this idol of, I need this to give me the value in others' eyes that I'm desperately longing for. That maybe I didn't experience when I was growing up. But when we do that, all of a sudden we start to believe this lie that we are the center of the universe and we're worth something because we have something. But the best bad news I can own is that I have nothing. Conversely, with envy, which is my comparative lack of wins equals my low value, just whereas conceit is wrong because it says that I'm valuable because I have everything, Envy is wrong because it's saying I have no value because I have nothing. I don't have as much as, I, as they do. It's just equally wrong. And again, it's equally something that the gospel table turns upside down to convey a different message. The best good news I can possess is that I have been given everything. I have been given everything. Um, 
because I don't have a relationship, I don't have a car, I don't have a house, I don't have value like these other people, um, that, that value statement just gets dis- dis- disqualified by the gospel. It, it's sent out because it, does, it no longer has the ability to con- produce in me the person that I am, that, that God's called me to be. The best good news I can possess is that I've been given everything, which means that I don't need that to be valuable. I don't need that to have worth. Would it be awesome if, if you're someone who longs to be in a relationship to have a relationship? Maybe. But I can tell you a lot of people who are in relationships who are in hellish conditions. Would it be awesome if you had a vehicle that didn't break down every other month? Man, yes, totally. Will that complete you? No, because I know people who are the most joyful people I can, have ever met on this planet who are constantly having car trouble. Every time I have car trouble, I just want to say, that's it. I'm going back to horses. <laughs> Forget about it. Truth is, truth is, is that every single one of us, the best good news that we can possess is that we've been given everything, which gives us a different starting point. And it's the starting point that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter uh, 4 when he says, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me. Just for context here, Paul is writing to a group of people who have provided for him. They knew Paul, ha- Paul had some financial needs, some other things, and they, they, they resourced him. And Paul's like, he wants to be gracious with them, but he doesn't want to give them the, the impression like he's just a mooch. And that's what he's expecting out of them. So he says this, I have great joy in the Lord because now at last you've again expressed your concern for me. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content in any circumstance. I've experienced times of need and times of abundance in any and every, let me say that again, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing, I'm able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. Now, if you have any athletics, um, and if you're a Christian, or if you're part of a, some type of Christian association of athletes or something, they're going to like love Philippians 4.13. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. But this is, an, oddly enough, this is not saying that you can dunk like Jordan if you're a Christian. Okay? This is not saying that if, if you have Christ, you can, you can beat your opponent, um, and, and it's just amazing because you, you got the Holy Spirit. That, that's not what that passage is saying at all. But what, what Paul is saying is this is, you know what? I can be the biggest loser on the planet and be totally satisfied. Because in Christ, I can do all things. I could have a lot of stuff and have the type of mindset where I, I am totally grateful. Because in Christ, I can do all things. And I can be the someone who's like just paycheck to paycheck and everything is always stressful. And if, if I could explain my finances, it would just be like, this is just the worst part of my existence. But I'm content. Why? Because even here, I'm able to follow Jesus. I've got, a, I've got a number of days on this planet. I don't know how many there are, but as long as I am, I'm either going to be in this category or that category. And as opposed to letting these two categories dictate my happiness and dictate my worth, I have a higher worth because I've got contentment not in those things, but in who Jesus is in me, whether I'm in there or there. Amen? That, that's huge. The best good news I can possess is that I have been given everything. So you've got the best bad news, you've got the best good news, and that, that actually produces a new reality that you can live under, which is, I am bankrupt, I am both bankrupt and infinitely loved at the same time. I am both bankrupt 
and infinitely loved at the same time. I've got nothing that I'm bringing to the table. I am, I am not bringing to the table something that, that's worthy enough for God to love me. I'm both bankrupt, but at the same time, I'm infinitely loved. Simultaneously. I don't need to have something to qualify myself. In fact, the only qualifier that I have for the gospel is that, I ha- that I'm unqualified. The only qualifier that I have for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus, is that I am nothing. I have nothing. I'm dead, and then he makes me alive. I'm bankrupt, and he provides. I'm weak, and he's strong. Here's an example. If, if, you, if you love someone, let's say that you're dating someone or, um, or, or you're married to someone. Let's just use those two categories. Let's say that you're, you love someone with all of your heart. And um, let's say that you're the guy. Guys, we fall into a really, really terrible trap when we try to answer this question. Why do you love me? Don't answer that. <laughs> because any answer you give is the wrong answer. And here's why. Let's say that you're sitting there and all of a sudden you're asked, why? I know you love me. Why? Why do you love me? And all of a sudden the sweat beads start to come down your face because you're like, what's the right answer? I know what it is. It's her beauty. It's because you're beautiful. Oh, really? So you're saying that if I wasn't beautiful that you'd stop loving me? Like what, hap- what if something happens like a terrible like lawnmower accident and all this is gone? Are you going to stop loving me then? No, 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 I, didn't, I, I, I mean, that's one of the things. One of the things I love you about. I also love you because um, you, you are really, really nice. You're super nice. You're a nice person. You're so nice. Oh, so like if one day you think that I'm not super nice, you're going to stop loving me? That's, that's the deal. That's what we have? You're, you're trapped, okay? So let me, give you, let me give you the only right answer to that question. Here it is. If you're asked, why do you love me? Men, this is the response, and it's, it's the tr- most truthful response if you truly love this person. The reason I love you is because I love you. I love you because I love you. There's, no, there's nothing that you could add to that or take away from it. I love you because I love you. And the reason that that's the only, the only right answer is because that's the only truly unconditional answer. Everything else is, a, is an audition. I'll continue loving you as long as you're beautiful, you, as long as you keep financially providing, or as long as you maintain a, a modicum of respect for me. All those things are, that's why relationships are always up and down and ex, in, internally exploding all the time is because we have those conditions. But the love that's modeled after God is, I love you because I love you. The starting point is zero. When God loves us, it, it, the scriptures say that, that he loved us when we were dead in our sin. So there's, you know, dead bodies have nothing to prove. All, the only thing they can prove is that they're lifeless. There's nothing there. And God says, that's when I came to you. That's when I loved you. That's when I restored you. Not because you are moral. Not because you, you're more spiritual. Not because you're, you're, you have the potential to be a better Christian. I love you because I love you. So the thing that will kill in us this trap that humanity has fallen, fallen into time and time again the, the trap of conceit and the trap of envy is coming into it as a follower of Jesus saying, I am both bankrupt and infinitely loved at the same time. And that leads to de- change in us. That actually leads someplace. And where that leads in us is this. All of a sudden, we are able to start seeing others good as good. So whether it's someone in your office, it's someone in your neighborhood, it's someone in your family, or when you're, when you're scrolling through a Facebook like, 
like the, the news feed, and you're just seeing what's happening in people's lives, all of a sudden, when, when you see this amazing thing that's happened to someone else, they bought the motorcycle. The motorcycle, you won it. And you're just like, hmm, thank the Lord for them. Oh, you went to Hawaii. Praise Jesus for that. You don't have to do that. Because all of a sudden, you could just all of a sudden say, you know what? That's awesome. That's so great. Do I want that? Sure. I mean, would that be super... Ra- yes, absolutely. But you know what? I'm not looking just at someone who's more valuable because they've got this, and I'm not valuable because I don't. They're so happy. I'm so sad. I'm looking at someone who else has an image of... creating the image of God. And when this good happens to them, I'm happy for them. This is good. And, and, and again, this is not a one-time fix. This is, the gospel is not just something that you believe when you're saved and all of a sudden you're forever changed entirely. Scripture talks about this process of sanctification taking place over the course of life, which means that we re-teach ourselves the good news over and over again. We re-let that wash over us. I'm completely bankrupt and yet infinitely loved at the same time. So when I look at your picture of this amazing thing happening to you, I'm like, that's awesome. I, I'm seeing your good as good. I'm able, to, I'm able to take joy because you are created in the image of God. And he, I know that he loves you. He loves you so much. He may love you more than you know. He may love you more than you possibly have ever given him credit for. And this thing that, that, you're, that you're doing, or everything, everything, has an exp, everything on Facebook has an expiration date. Every person on Facebook has an expiration date. But the thing that doesn't change and doesn't, doesn't die is, is that soul, that reality. And we're looking at, people's, we're looking at people who matter to God. And so we're able to see others good as, as good and celebrate that. We're also able to see others' loss as my loss. I'm no longer in, this, in the place of say, seeing somebody when they have this happen in their life as like, yes, justice. I'm able to instead say, you know what? I'm in pain for that, for that person. I know what, if I was in that situation, how I would feel. When I see someone else's illness, it's not just like, oh man, I'm just so grateful that didn't happen to us. So happy that didn't happen to someone in my family. So happy that that didn't happen at my work. We're actually, we, 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 we're, we hit it on a different level because we realize that we have nothing to prove and God infinitely loves us. That transforms us to look at this person in a different light saying, that hurts me to see that happen to them. We see others' loss as my loss. And we're actually able to weep with those who weep more because of the gospel, because of that. That leads to that. And finally, we're able to see my own good as enjoyable resources borrowed from God for his glory and others' benefit. Let me read that again. I see my own good as an enjoyable resource borrowed from God for his glory and others' benefit. That means that when, I, when something good happens in my life, I would just tell you, you know what, if things are good happening in your life, post it, talk about it, comment it. You go to Hawaii, you get the, post it, talk about it, but, but come from a place, and people who know you will know that this is your reality, that this is not just you trying to present some type of value, but like, look what I got, look what I got, but instead it's coming from a place of saying, everything about me, from my, from my head down to the dirt, everything inside of me is pointing to how amazing God is. And so I want everyone to know. And so like if they see stuff that, I, that I've got or they see places that I've gone or they hear about these things, these are people that are also going to know my story about, the, about how this isn't my definer. This isn't the, the, the hub that my joy revolves around, the axis that my life centers around. This is just a part. 
And they're also going to see that, that you're the type of person that is pouring into others. Because they, they, they're going to see you as someone who has your life, everything that's good inside of you that you either own or is a relationship you have or the airtime you have on Facebook is God's. It's his. He owns it. And that you use all this for his glory. So you're the type of person that is a giver. You're not a taker. And so when they see you enjoying things, they're seeing it through a different lens. Because they know that that doesn't define you. But that it's constantly being used. It's borrowed from God for his glory and for others' benefit. And believe it or not, a place that I see this happen most frequently, just because of the proximity of this, or the, this, the availability of this, is, is Facebook. I see this happening on Facebook. And oddly enough, I see it on our church's Facebook. Now, it's weird, just in church land, it's weird for churches to have Facebook accounts that are as active as you have made it, okay? Um, and that's because when Facebook kind of just started off, the, the message in the church was, Facebook is from Satan. <laughs> Satan people are on there, and my cousin, but everyone else is Satan. And it was just like, you know, because again, just like any instrument, it could be used by, by the enemy for sure. But, and and when, we, when, we, when we had one, we're like, okay, well, our main thing is our church website. Our church website is going to be the way that people like, interact and, and find out stuff about the church. And Facebook will just be there for us to like, send messages to people that are volunteers and stuff. And then you took it over. And all of a sudden, you started to use it for things like prayer. This was for announcements, people. And you used it for like praying for each other and seeking to help. And someone's like, hey, I'm out of a job. And all of a sudden, five people are like, hey, there's 15 openings at my work. What do you, what do you it, that's, Facebook isn't for that. And, and we, 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 all of a sudden, people like are talking about how can we help somebody in our church? And all of a sudden, you started to do something that other churches would love to do. And we would love to say that we thought of, but we didn't. You just did it. As the church, you just stepped in and said, you know what? This is a place where we can communicate with each other. Let's do that. Let's go ahead and just, because the fact that, that Jesus has done this in our life, let's constantly be doing this with others. Let's find out ways that we can interact and help one another. And you've been doing it time and time again. And again, I would, I, churches are trying to get their churches, their, their church people to get in on their Facebook to try to interact and be the church with one another. And people are just like, um, I don't, that's just weird. Uh, no, this is for my vacation photos, <laughs> not for, for interacting. And, and yet you've done that. I mean, it's been on, on our Facebook. If you look through our Facebook feed, you're going to see things like Brenda Seibert saying, Courtney just had surgery. I need some help. Please sign up if you can. And people have been signing up and bringing food to this person. It's been on Facebook that like Joe Mayfield said, I thought I saw someone on this page looking for a used lawnmower, but now I can't find it. If, if, it was you, please respond. I have one for you. And then you look down the, the page and there's someone like Paula saying a big thank you to all who brought Melissa a meal while she was recuperating from brain surgery. Thank you for all the prayers. She's recovering nicely. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus. God bless you all. You have been utilizing this, and this is just a fraction of your life. Your whole life isn't, isn't in, in social networking, but you have utilized moments in your life to pray for people who needed prayer, provide for people who needed to be provided for. You've been using that resource of your time and energy to do that. And so people on our Facebook page have been posting stuff, and like, things like incredible need and importance, and, and other stuff too. I mean, and, and it's just like people just, whatever, even cats, even lost cats. And I love that Carol Danielson said this, did you check with Errol McFadden? 
Good news, Sherman is home now. Thank you all. See, this is the thing. What if we were the type of followers of Jesus that because of what the gospel has done inside of us, it unlocks something? We're not coming at life at at, at a desperation point. We're coming at life as people who recognize we have nothing. We're bankrupt, but we've been given everything. We're infinitely loved by him. That what Jesus did on the cross both accomplished our our forgiveness, but it also like jump-started a life. And the life that it, that it jump-started was one that is, is reaching out and others. You know, just one passage here to, to close up. Paul says this. In, in Romans 12, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So you're on, by the way, you're, on, you're out there and you're talking to people and you see bad people doing bad things or you see people on Facebook saying things that just totally frustrate you and you're like, this is it. Justice is coming. I'll bring in the hammer. No. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Consider what is good before all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourself, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The, the verse just before that says, or the section just before that says, love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring one another. Do not lag in zeal, be enthusiastic in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, endurance, endure in suffering, persist in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be elitist, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. This is our message. This is our story. This is the good news. I'm both bankrupt and infinitely loved at the same time. Is that your starting point? Have you received the gospel? Have you become a Christian? Have you become someone who said that that, my whole life has been built and based around my value being in something I can do, I can give, I can show. And in all honesty, that that has been conceit. Or are you somebody who has been your whole life feeling like you are 15 steps behind, you have no worth because you don't have what others have? My encouragement to both of you is this. You're missing out on the good news. You're missing out on the gospel. So I want to encourage you is with this. If that's not your story, step into the hope of that. The hope of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and do that today. Know that you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to show how, how, how much you deserve this. Entry level acceptance is that you recognize you don't deserve it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask right now that if you are, are sensing, if you, if you know, Lord, as you know that, that some of us are following you and we're followers of you, we've been redeemed by your blood, but we struggle with this lagging and nagging concept that we still have to prove our worth to others, we have to prove our value to others. That's the world that we live in, God, but we just want to honestly live liberated of that. Lord, I pray that you help us sink our roots into the whisper of the Holy Spirit, which reminds us there's more. 
than all these empty promises of things in this world or even relationships and the type of satisfaction they could provide that only you can, that only you can provide in the fullest. Let's be people who are, are entering to life as completed people by you, not by us. Lord, for anyone here who is uh, someone who has never trusted you to forgive the wrong in their life, it makes sense, God, that life feels like it's constantly needing to be proved because we know how wrong we are, how off we are, how sinful we are. We all know that deep down. And God, what we're asking that you forgive us. Lord, if, if there's anyone in here that is not a believer, if not put their trust in you, let them simply respond to you by saying, I am seeking to respond to your free gift of salvation based on the redemption, the fact that you've purchased all the wrath that was due me by dying on the cross and rising from the grave, that you did that for me, that you did that out of love. I'm asking you to forgive me today, this morning. I'm asking that you lead me from this point on and that I go into life completely fulfilled by you, first and foremost, so that everything else in this world just icing on the cake, God, and every gift that, that I have, whether it's a job or a friendship or a relationship, I would be so grateful for because in a broken world, everything breaks, and that's just a, a picture of grace from you. Start in me today, a new life following your lead. God, all of us, every single person in this room, we lift before you our lives, we surrender them to you. Let us be people who are walking as fulfilled individuals in you, not in ourselves. And we'll give you the thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, let's go live it.